Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Chasing Tales Outdoor Podcast, brought to you by Wild Edge, Inc. I'm your host, Walter, and if this is the first time joining us, welcome to the show. This week's episode is one that I've been looking forward to for quite some time. In fact, uh, I think a little over a year ago, I reached out to this guest and said, hey, can you come on the show? And unfortunately, he's quite the busy dude, so it took a little while to get this lined up. But uh, I'm real excited about it, so I'm not going to waste too much of your time chatting, uh, running my mouth about it. Before we get to that, I want to say thanks to the title sponsor of the podcast, Wild Edge, Inc. You heard me mention them before. If you listened before, you already know all about it. But if you don't, and this is your first time listening, Wild Edge has the simplest climbing system climbing system for all your tree stand hunting needs so give them a look online i my whole setup weighs about six pounds to climb a tree that's it six pounds and i can get anywhere from 15 to about 22 feet with that and if you use the promo code chasing tails 10 that's chasing tails t-a-l-e-s one zero that'll get you 15 dollars off a set of sticks so essentially you can get a, a set of eight with a bag for 105 which is ridiculously cheap for what you're getting 100% American made high quality steel insane customer service give Andrew a look www.wildedgeinc.com we started last week doing something a little different where I started to uh, give some shout outs to people who had previously given reviews on the podcast and we're going to do the same thing this week as well this week's review goes out to P Mick 19 says 
if you're on the fence about listening to this podcast, all you need to do is listen to episode 13 and you'll be hooked. Trust me, I had goosebumps at times listening to that episode. Anyone can tell that these guys have a strong passion for what they do. They talk about their success, successes, failures, and tell some great stories where, where you feel like you're reliving it with them. Believe me, hit that subscribe button and you won't be disappointed. P. Mick. 19 dude i appreciate you so much for that review shoot if if you're listening and that's you shoot me uh your address and i'll put you on the next mailing list for the decals uh and i'll get one of those out to you my way of saying thank you for supporting the podcast i'd like to acknowledge our patreon uh, our newest patreon member that is greg godfrey greg thank you for choosing to be a patreon of the show your support your financial support not only your review that i know that you've dropped and uh, you're listening but your commitment to financially supporting the show uh really is appreciated it's going to help us move into the next phase of chasing tales which uh is coming soon and i'm excited to talk about that and we'll have some news coming about that here shortly but uh if you don't know what patreon is it is a website where you can go and choose a dollar amount to donate to the show on a monthly basis it's set up it's patreon.com forward slash chasing tales outdoors or you can go to the uh, bio and instagram or click in the show notes i'll include the link and um, i've set up three different tiers for three different dollar amounts and each one comes with their own little goodies that i i've uh, set up there for you so be sure and check that out and uh, if, if you feel so compelled contribute to the show Guys, I'm not going to waste any more of your time. I'm excited for y'all to listen to this week's episode. I hope you enjoy it as much as I enjoyed recording it and editing it for you. And lastly, I just want to apologize for the delay it took to get this one out. I had some technical difficulties with some of my equipment, but we're back on track. I'm going to drop this one tonight. You'll be listening to it in the morning, Thursday morning. Uh, And then Monday, I've got the next one to drop. So I got you all caught up. I hope you enjoy. All right, I am live now. Anything you say, I will end up using against you at some point in time. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, I I have a guest on the phone that I've wanted to have on since the moment I got it started podcasting. In fact, this guest is the person who inspired me to go podcasting. He was the first person that I ever podcasted with. And I'm sure when uh, he and I talked the first time, he didn't anticipate another hunting podcast to come from it. Luckily enough, we're we're quite different podcasts, so we're not ex- ex- exactly uh, competing for airspace. But on the phone, I have got Dan Johnson. And if that name sounds familiar to you, it's because he is the host of the Nine Fingers Chronicles. He is the owner of the Sportsman's Nation Outdoor podcast network i hope i didn't butcher that too bad dan how are you doing buddy i i I always say that any day above dirt is a good day so (laughs) man i'm above dirt and uh i'm doing good that dude i i'm with you on that it's uh thursday when we're recording this and i am just happy to have made it through the week we are uh, 51 days as of this morning away from September 1st, and that is my way of coping for counting down to deer season because if I count down to October, <laughs> it just seems depressing. So I'll count down to uh, college football start. Hey, I'm a huge fan of college football, man. I know you are. <laughs> Iowa. Iowa uh, Hawkeyes? Yeah. Iowa Hawkeyes and your dogs, right? Yeah, I sure am, man. Yeah, it was... Uh, it so was what's, a- it, what's it like... 
let me ask you a question. <laughs> What's it like working at the University of Florida State but wearing Georgia Bulldogs gear? You know, you would think that there would be some bad blood, right? But right. realistically, there isn't any. I, there's no – and it's almost a letdown because I, I, I kind of like like a little bit of jiving when it comes to college football. I mean, I feel like that's kind of part of the culture of college football is, you know, you, you stick little stupid memes on your on your coworkers' door that, that insult their team, you know. And uh, they are so kind and nice. It is annoying. It, it is agitating. Um, yeah. We, 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 hired, we hired a Florida Gator in the office, and now I have somebody to mess with because that's, that's some bad blood. Absolutely. What the <laughs> – do they still have that biggest cocktail party in the world game? Yeah, they do down in Jacksonville. They tried to yeah. uh, they tried to change the topic because they felt like the world's out, uh, largest out there, the world's largest outdoor cocktail party was uh, not PC anymore. But all, <laughs> all the vendors said to hell with that and kept printing it on their shirts anyway. So they gave up. Absolutely, man. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know what? Let's just chase this little tangent a step further. Who is the arch nemesis for the Hawkeyes? Oh, it's Iowa State. I had a feeling. Right? Yeah. So that's the that's the big rivalry because it's in the same state, right? We got the Iowa State Cyclones, and we have the uh, we have the Iowa Hawkeyes, and every year. That's when all the trash talkers come out, and <laughs> and it, it's pretty much it's pretty much with every sport, but. You know, Iowa is known for football, and it's known for wrestling, especially wrestling, collegiate wrestling. And uh, uh, but when it's football season and it comes time, and people start wearing their Cyclones and their Hawkeye shirts to work, that's when the shit talking begins. <laughs> and uh, that's when you—that's when it's okay to make fun of uh, fun of other people. So that's awesome, dude. Yeah, and y'all y'all put a ass whooping on them last year. Yeah, we we did all right last, last year. <laughs> I was uh, my my mom's family hails from Columbus, and they're all Ohio State fans. And I yeah, that's gross. It is. It's disgusting. I I can't. It's uh yeah. We'll just we'll just leave that right there. It's gross. So, well, for anybody who doesn't know you, I can't imagine that there's anybody who follows my podcast that wouldn't know who you are and the awesome content that you put out would you give everybody a, a brief synopsis of of who dan johnson is and why they should uh be ready to subscribe to the nine fingers chronicles podcast right now <laughs> it all started back in 1980 and <laughs> i know <laughs> i uh this is whenever when everybody or anybody asks me that question this is what i say first i'm a father and a husband Right. I mean, if we're going to talk about titles, that's the title that I like the best. Right. And I, I want to be better at every single day. And I try to be anyway. Sometimes it's tough, but father and husband, first and foremost. And then when we start getting into what we like to do for fun, man, I'm just a dude who likes to be outside as much as possible, who basically loves bow hunting. And, uh, you know, that's the very short, short version of it, I guess. Well, there you go. Straight and to the point, man. Right. Right. <laughs> no, no one would ever know by that, by that introduction that part of your side hustle is talking. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Yep. I mean, I do, I, I'm on, 
I'm a co-host of the Wired to Hunt podcast. Uh, not so much anymore just because our schedules uh, kind of uh, have changed a little bit, but I'm the, I'm the host of the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. I put anywhere between two to three out um, a week where majority of the content revolves around hunting whitetails or the gear that we use to hunt whitetails or conservation or one of several, you know, topics that revolve around whitetails. And then I had this idea that was like, hmm, what can I do? Because at the time when I started the Sportsman's Nation, it felt like everybody was kind of coming out with a podcast. So in order to kind of capitalize on that, what I wanted to do was bring in some other podcasts on one RSS feed and call it a podcast network. And so now I have, you know, I'm running the, the whitetail feed, which is, uh, you know, like the Southern ground podcast. We have the DIY sportsman's podcast. We have the land and legacy podcast, my podcast. And then on the, uh, uh, we have a, a separate feed of the sportsman's nation, which is big game and Western hunting. And we have the Son Outdoors podcast, and we have the Rookies in the Backcountry podcast. We have the Transition Wild podcast, and we have the I'm missing one uh, Hardworking Hunter podcast. So I just put out a lot of content. Dude, the, you're only missing two things: a fishing podcast and a duck hunting podcast. Are you working on that? Can you give us a sneak peek? I'm work. I'm 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 all I can say is I'm working on it. Uh, <laughs> it's like. It's difficult to, you know, try to talk somebody into starting one if they if sure. they've never done it before. Sure. But uh, it's it's a goal of mine to get a waterfowl feed and a fishing feed on the on the network and uh, potentially expand that to everything. You know, that's the goal. That's awesome, man. I I, I highly endorse. I highly recommend that anybody who might be new to the outdoors or uh, really wants like a one-stop shop, your your podcast network provides just that, a lot of exposure to a lot of different varying content. So um, I, I'd highly recommend to any of my listeners, if you haven't already, uh, take take a look at what Dan's got. It's a, it's a good platform. The kind of pivoting, shifting gears a little bit, you know, I joked earlier, we're only about a month and a half, well, let's see, two months away from striking distance from, depends on where you are in the country. If you're in, if you're in Southern Florida, your, your deer season has already started. If, if you're, uh, waiting for the October deadline, you, it, it might seem like an eon away, but how close are you to being ready for de- uh, deer season, Dan? Oh, you're never really ready when <laughs> October 1st hits, but I have an elk hunt that I leave for on September 1st this year. So I'm in the process of, yeah, I'm in the process of trying to get less fat and (laughs) trying to get my bow set up and make sure I have all the, uh, all the equipment ready and get in some kind of shape for, uh, a 10,000 foot elk hunt out in Colorado. And, uh, I'm doing okay, but I know I can do better. Well, you better get to step it, dude. We, we we kicked it off earlier, I and I didn't realize it. You've only got 51 days, no pressure. Yeah, yep. <laughs> uh, I tell you what, the, the last elk hunt that I went on was in, uh, in Idaho, 
And I trained my balls off for that. Uh, I, I was doing tons of leg workouts. I was doing weighted packs. I was doing cardio. And I got there, and I walked up this first little little hill, little mountain, walked down, and I got cocky. And I was like, oh, man, all that training paid off. I'm about 50, 50 yards up the second little hill that we were climbing, and I was praying for God to take my life because I was so out of, like, I was out of gas. I was just, all my muscles were burning, and I and it was like, I was almost mentally defeated for the rest of the trip. <laughs> oh, no. That's terrible. Yeah. Well, so, I have that to look forward to. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and from what I'm told, I'm by no means an expert, but isn't Colorado even worse? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'll be about uh, four, three to 4,000 feet higher in elevation uh, than I was in Idaho and real steep terrain as well. So, you know what? There's only one thing to do when you're a flatlander and you go out there and it's just basically eat shit for the entire amount of time that you're there. And, you know, if you, if you got to go a little slower, you got to go a little slower, but, uh, you you can't train for elevation in Iowa. No, you you sure as hell can't do it in Florida. Absolutely. (laughs) No, I, I, we'll need to compare notes. My uncle lives in Colorado and uh, he's been begging me for, oh, God, it might be close to seven, ten years, somewhere in that range, to come out there and, and hunt with him. He's got almost all the equipment. All I'm responsible for is basically my my bow and my boots. And uh, uh, I have purposefully come up with reasons not to go because I know if I go out there, A, I'm going to be so addicted that I may not come back. I'll just send my wife like a postcard like, you know, it was nice knowing you. Uh, but, but I, I'm, I also think that it's going to be the end of my whitetail hunting because the idea of having a 700 pound animal screaming at, at you in the, in the woods, instead yeah. of just sitting in utter silence, sitting still, I just, I don't know, man, I, I have a feeling that's going to trigger something in me. I'm, I'm not, uh, I'm going to end up not being able to pursue as much as I want to. Well, let me tell you this. I don't know, like you don't have kids right now, right? No. And I don't know what your plans are for your you and your wife, but if you are even talking about having kids, do that, do that, that elk hunting trip right now, because <laughs> when you start throwing kids into the mix, it just gets really dirty really fast. Well, th- then it sounds like my, my logic is, is sound. We, we're on a... Uh a five year uh pause we aren't we aren't even going to start talking about kids for five more years so uh it sounds like uh, my trip that i'm going on in in 2019 fall of 19 uh adheres to your logic absolutely well we didn't bring you on to talk elk i wanted you to come on the show and and share a story that um i think will resonate with a lot of people i think it will uh, the 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 mental I don't want to say progress but the evolution of your of your thoughts for that season changed rather dramatically and I was able because of your platform to kind of see you work through that and it was very interesting to me um, you had a rather brief deer season in the fall of 2017 and that was because you were blessed with another child yep and 
what I want to do today is kind of two, two parts. One, I kind of want to talk about that evolution that you had uh, in your thought process for your expectations for the, for the for the year, and then I just want you to to maybe tell that story uh, so that everybody can uh, vicariously, all my southern listeners can vicariously listen uh, to what it's like to hunt a big buck state like Iowa. Um, but let, yeah. let's start with the with the former first. Um, when you when did you find out that uh, you were going to be having a child in the middle of the rut, or right before the rut, rather? Well, uh, my my boy Knox was born September twenty second, right? So he was born one week before whitetail season started. Okay, right. So so yeah, one 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 week, one and a half weeks before uh, whitetail season started. So. I mean, we instantly knew, uh, we instantly knew when my wife was pregnant. So the first thing I did was on my, on my nine fingers with the nine fingers that I do have, I counted out, you know, nine months, 40 weeks from when, you know, that's how long it takes a, a baby to incubate or whatever. So I'm like, okay. It, and I, was, I got worried there. Cause I'm like, Oh my God, it's going to be during the rut, but it wasn't. So, so it was, it was, uh, September 22nd is when he was born. And I knew that with a third kid, you know, two kids is difficult. You add a third, it's even more difficult. And shout out to my wife who won't ever listen to this. She doesn't even listen to my podcast, but, uh, she is a tough broad because she deals with the, my three hellion children when, uh, I go off uh, on some of these trips and uh, hunting and stuff. So I knew that, if I was going to make her happy, I had to tag out, like grind my butt off to, to tag out as fast as possible. So the idea of tagging out as fast as possible comes with, I guess, a couple options. I was thinking about this the other day. You you can uh, maybe power through a week and uh, – Actually, let me back this up. This is how this is how we we'll approach this. Your your average expectations in Iowa for a, a whitetail buck is is how large? How how many inches? I'll, well, I'll be honest with you. It's not necessarily based off inches. Um, I'd like to I like to shoot a matured buck. And what he scores, like I have a handful of deer on my wall. I got a couple of Euro mounts of the bucks I've killed over the years. And I've only measured one of them. I, I don't measure, I don't measure my bucks uh, that I kill. Um, I estimate of what they are, but I never put an official tape to them. With that said, like I, I used to go into every season with certain expectations. Like I'm only going to kill a four year old or higher, or I'm only going to kill, you know, this buck or whatever, or I'm going to put a hit list together. And what I've realized over the years is that it's all about what the mood I am in in that particular day. So if a three-year-old with a bigger rack comes through the woods, hell, I may shoot that. Or if a big old nasty, you know, five- or six-year-old buck who scores 130 comes through the woods, you know, maybe I'll shoot him. But it just kind of all depends on the mood I'm in and what trail cameras are telling me. So that has a lot to do with... I guess what I, how I approach every season as far as what I'm, what I'm looking to take. So let, let's chase, let's chase this thought process just a smidge. Why don't you actually measure your bucks? I'm curious. 
because score really doesn't matter. Um, score has nothing to do with the story that I tell people. Like when someone, when someone looks at that mount on a wall, I've never really heard anybody ever say like how important throughout that whole story does the score of that buck really matter? It doesn't to me. It's the story, right? Oh man, it was hot that day or it was cold that day. And I left my bow in the truck. So I had to maybe walk back and get it. Or man, I was so cold. My toes were frozen. And I wanted <laughs> to get out of the stand, whatever it's the hunt is the story, right? The, the mount at the end is the talking piece or the work of art. That is your memory. And it's just like, I don't know. I I'm, I'm not a huge fan of, score and to me when someone like when i look at a mount of a giant whitetail i want to hear the story i don't care about what the score is yeah and see you and i are quite similar in that regard i do i do euro mounts uh myself i don't think i'll probably ever have a, a shoulder mount i don't have anything against them but it, my my logic on that is simply i feel like you know the deer's dead i ought to represent it in some form that kind of completes that life cycle instead of putting in a shoulder mount. Right. I, don't, I don't have any issue with it but that's just my personal preference. Right. And I also, I, I've actually never taken a tape to my biggest buck, um, or any of my bucks, actually. Uh, only one of which has been something you'd score. But I feel like when you do that, you kind of put, uh, you, you, you start to quantify that deer by those inches, right? Like, I think before you, you put a tape to it, you refer to him as the big eight, or you refer to him as that my biggest buck, right? And there's a storyline, like you said, that kind of comes along with that. And as soon as you put, inches on that on that item for sure i feel like it cements to you another way that you characterize an animal that had a far more complex life and experience uh and and people end up start like registering the story's worth by that number not that there's anything wrong with that either it's just personally i have a storytelling podcast and that's kind of you know if you ask me about that buck and how much it scores i'll tell you i don't know but i can tell you that the wind was not right for me to kill that damn deer you know the wind was blowing in his face i don't know how he didn't know i you know like so it's just interesting to hear someone have have a similar thought process so right and all that does all all a number does is put you in a line of all other numbers right i mean uh so so what that does is i mean and i've seen it firsthand at some of the trade shows that i go to at the uh you know uh, some guy i just remember this conversation i had like three years ago with a guy and he shot this 200 inch buck and he thought he was king shit. And it was one of the only, he got lucky. I'll tell you straight up. He got lucky. Uh, one of those bucks that, you know, come through during the rut and he, he ended up shooting it, but you get this, you get this. I'm better at hunting than you because of the inches on my buck's head are bigger than the inches on your buck's head. So, I mean, what kind of, what kind of bull crap is that? That just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, no, I'm with you, dude. A hundred percent. Absolutely. So let's, let's, let's bring this back in and, and, and tie back into what we were talking about. You, you're not going after an inch. You're going after a mature animal. You're going after the animal that gets you in that moment. Now, admittingly, you live in a state that produces the third most Pope and young bucks in the country. So your expectations yeah. are, 
probably a little higher than the average person. And I remember watching this dialogue, this thought process. You posted a couple different things about it. And I think I even heard you on your podcast mention it a couple times um, when you realized that you have to get as much hunting done as possible in a short period of time. What that – or I'm sorry, if you have to uh, fill a tag as quickly as possible, it leaves you with two options. You You hunt really, really hard after a target buck and hope to punch that tag in a short period of time. Or perhaps you lower your expectations because you have a higher likelihood of filling that tag. And there, there was this right. evolution with you. And I, I was curious, what did that feel like as a hunter? You know, you're secure with your thought process and then something came in and kind of disturbed the peace a little bit and made you maybe kind of consider something that you may not have done previously so uh, certainly. Right, right. So... You know, I passed, what, what was it, from an inch standpoint, I passed two 150-inch deer last year uh, before I shot my buck. Uh, and why I, I, I put a number to that just so people have an idea of the caliber of deer that I, I let walk. I believe one was, one was a three-year-old for sure, and the other one could have been a four-year-old, but I just... It was it was one of those moments where you're just like, uh, if I'm not feeling feeling it, I'm not going to shoot it. So, um, so I decided to pass. Now, wh- what you're talking about is, I had to be more aggressive this year, this past year, because and, and that means barreling in it mean to what I find are historically good spots to intercept deer, right? Your pinch points, your travel corridors, downwind of bedding, right? The the three main pieces that you hear people talk about and you just get you just get more aggressive you, you go in you you have less setup sets like your observation sets you go in hard and you hope that it it happens right and um so i passed i passed those two bucks and then i had an encounter with a, another big eight that i ended up taking a shot at my arrow hit a branch and it ricocheted off and uh I took another follow, a long follow-up shot, and it didn't even come close. I uh, and I kind of screwed up with with that. But as you know, and as you start getting the the, the nightly phone calls from the wife, who are, <laughs> you can hear in her voice that she's struggling at home, and you want to do your passion. I mean, I always tell people this: bow hunting is like very selfish. For, if you want to do it right, right? Sure. Bow hunting is not something, and you want to be good at it, and you want to learn from it. I guess it, it's it's uh, whatever you want to do or however you want. But for me, I want to go out and be successful on a mature buck, and that's not something you do in two days of a week, in a weekend. You know what I mean? It's something that you have to uh, fo- you know, follow up on. You have to scout. You have to, um, you know, learn from observation you have to make moves you have to be mobile you have to uh, you know make mistakes and learn from them so i knew that when i was getting some of these phone calls i'm like man i gotta make it happen fast this year because like i got a five week old i got a five week old kid at home and yes my mother-in-law came and helped but still it's not like when daddy's home you know what i mean so so you know, I, I was putting some pressure on my main farm and I made the decision like, okay, well, I, I got this new farm. 
I had no trail cameras on it. I had no um, uh, no experience other than a couple early season hunts. So I went on to this new farm that I got permission to hunt. I went to a completely different side of the farm that I had hunted earlier in October, and I did a straight up run and gun set on. You know, you follow the terrain. You, you you know what way the wind's blowing. And I was cutting the wind pretty hard uh, right next to, like, I don't want to call it a bedding area, but it was almost like a staging area next to a bedding area. So I was I was a ways from this particular bedding area. And I was right on some thick stuff, and I climbed up. I, I cut a couple branches for shooting lanes, but nothing, you know, nothing – substantial and I, I climbed up into this this tree and uh, I, I had this one natural shooting lane that was like a small window but it was clear as day right to this this trail and then it kind of got it kind of opened up behind me but I was I was only curious about what was coming out of this bedding area kind of staging in this area right in front of me and kind of heading out into this uh, like walking this draw up to this uh, CRP field where there was just a ton of scrapes, right? So, so I set up and all of a sudden, you know, right, right away, it's the rut, right? It's November 7th is when I killed this deer. And there was a couple three-year-olds hanging out in there. There was a couple two-year-olds. There was, uh, you know, a doe group that was kind of milling back and forth. And all of a sudden this young buck, came in and started pushing this doze is like maybe a, a two-year-old and he pushes these does up the uh up the draw but something something happens and they hold up they turn around and kind of come back but they're not spooked or anything so i'm just waiting there i'm watching these deer just enjoying nature right you know another another buck comes downwind to me busts me and he runs off, but he doesn't blow. So, you know, the, the other deer don't know what's happening. And uh, all of a sudden, I see tines coming out of this really thick stuff. Like, maybe I walked by him on the way in. He stood up and he stood up out of his bed or something. I, it would be hard to tell because it was so thick. But I see him come up, right? And he's postured like he is the king shit deer in the woods. And I put my binos on him, and all I could see was antlers and head but he was drooling. He was making aggressive, you know, his, his body language was aggress aggressive. He looped behind these does with the wind. So he was scent checking these does and the does started going to that CRP field and that buck started, uh, that buck started following him. So I put my binos up again, hoping to get a really good, you know, a really good, um, look at his body to tell if he was mature or not. And I couldn't do it. Uh, because it was so thick in there. All I could see was kind of his head and his antlers, maybe a little bit of his hindquarters, and you just couldn't tell. So I wanted to get a better look at him because his antlers said mature deer, right? And what I mean by that is he started having some mass. There was some character in the antlers, and that's something that typically where I hunt, a young deer doesn't have, right? So either it's it's genetically gifted or it's a young deer, right? And... So I, I pull my grunt tube out and I just go, Bruh. that was it. One grunt. And he stops. He looks at me and I can remember as his head swings around, he's just drooling, right? Like, uh-oh, 
I got to go take care of some business ladies. I'll be right back. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so he turns around and he comes, you know, that opening I talked about earlier and he stopped with his head in that opening at about 30. This was probably one of the longest archery shots I've ever taken. I think it was somewhere around 33 to 35 yards. And he stopped right before that opening. So his head was in it. I could get a clear shot of his antlers and I had to make a moment at that point, which is this buck's going to do what he did to those does, and he's going to try to loop loop downwind of where he heard this noise. And you know, I got no zonics in the tree, but that's not a, that's not guaranteed. It sure. helps, but it, you know, it's not it's not you know it doesn't make a a dumb hunter a, a good hunter. You know what I mean? Sure. So it's not bulletproof. So, yeah, absolutely. So. I, I, he's, he's coming in and I, I, his head's in the opening. I draw back and I had to make a decision where if he starts walking through again, I could lose an opportunity at this, at this buck or I can, uh, or I can shoot him. And he stepped into the opening. His vitals were right there. And I pulled back and I shot him and I, I hit him completely broadside. It, complete pass through and it was it was back a little ways because I, I as I pulled the trigger he took like one step forward. So I hit I hit liver and he ended up uh ended up going thirty yards piled over dead. He was closer to my tree stand when he died than when I shot it. And uh I get down out of my tree and I walk over to him and He's a small body deer, right? You know, obviously some time had passed, but I, I looked down at him and I go, my God, I can almost probably pick this deer up by myself really? and put him into the, yeah, into, into, the, into the truck. I mean, I look at this deer and I go, the first thing that popped into my head was, this is a two-year-old. This is a two-year-old buck. And he's probably got a 145-inch rack on him. You know, yeah. Um, if, you know, I, I didn't measure him, but you know, whatever. And at that point, a guy could do one of two things, right? He could go, "Oh my God, I killed a young deer," and be pissed about it, and, and be mad about it, and you know, play it off or or talk it off, you know, give some excuse or whatnot or whatever. What I did was, and and which I owed this animal. I just took its life. I can't give an excuse to this animal. I have to be proud of this. I have to be happy about it because it was a clean ethical kill. He died really fast. And I should be proud of, I did a, I did a run and gun. I went into a bedroom and I was able to harvest a great deer. This is going to provide meat for my family. And it, it's just a cherry on top of what is my favorite time of the year. And like you mentioned, I get, now I get a, I get to go home and spend some time uh, back with, with the family. So what did, was there a feeling of relief when you deferred to that, that latter thought there of, you know, take thanks, be happy that I was out here. Was, was it, was it genuine relief or do you feel like you were trying to cope? No, you know, it's, that's a great question, but I don't know the answer to it because in the tree stand, 
when there's no deer around or when you're not getting ready to draw back, you can have cognitive thought, right? I mean, you can, you can sit here and say, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this and then I'm going to do this. And you know, Walter, just as much as I do, <laughs> when, when, a when a buck or a deer, even if it's a doe steps out, you're getting ready to shoot it. The brain goes, sometimes goes bye-bye, yeah, right? Thought goes bye-bye. Yeah. And, and so you, you're, you're either on autopilot or you're doing your best to, you know, you're doing your best with the mental capacity that you have at that moment. And, um, it, it really wasn't, it really wasn't a, 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 it wasn't relief like, Oh my God, great. I got a buck. Now I can go home or, or I can do whatever. It was a moment of enjoyment, right? Like I had, I had a whole week planned for that, maybe even a little longer if I needed to, uh, for that hunt. And it just like that, that deer's path and my, my path crossed in a moment of time. And I wanted to take that deer's life and I did, and I'm happy that it happened. You know, I don't, I don't regret killing a immature buck, but I can say that it's not what I expected. You know what I mean? Sure. I think I think a guy can say that without. It's not the the buck is not what I thought it was, and but I can still appreciate that animal uh, and respect that animal, even though it's not the buck that I thought it I thought it was. Oh, absolutely! I think I think anything other than that would almost be a disrespect to the animal because you've killed bigger deer than what you killed on that day. So the fact that it got you so bad that you pulled back and harvested that animal, it, it almost, it, in my mind, it would almost be a betrayal if you thought anything other than the way you, you ultimately went because you'd, you'd not just betraying the animal, you'd really betray, be betraying yourself as well because you were happy in that moment. You know, you, oh, yeah. you, you Absolutely. The, the inner instinct in you said, this is the, and, and see, here's the other thing. All the little details that you told, he was drooling. You, you witnessed his behavior. I bet all of that played into that decision, right? Like it was a real visceral, oh, yeah. um, um, engaged moment, you know? So yeah. I, 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 that, that story gets me, man, right at my core. And, and, you know, you, you keep saying it's a young deer, but this thing has got some kick-ass character. And I can tell you right now that I would not have passed this deer at all. I mean, obviously, that's not saying much considering I'm coming from Florida. But uh, right, right. I, 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 my buddy Chase, he, we were talking about this before I, I, I called you. Uh, I told him, you know, I was going to have, have you on and which deer and – and I was like, dude, I tell you, I'm going to shoot that thing 10 out of 10 times. He's like, yeah, but you don't live in Iowa. And I was like, man, it's going to take a whole lot of big deer. I'm going to have to have like a garage full of these things before that style deer doesn't get my goat. You know, like even living in a big state, right. I mean, big deer state like you do. Yeah. You know, and I think that's where the, the hunting industry and even the hunting community kind of has it wrong, man. It's everybody gets so crazy over antlers and, and size and, I mean, one of my favorite outdoor memories, and I'm going to say that this built the foundation for my love of outdoors today, was, and I know this has nothing to do with whitetails, but I'm sitting on a creek with my dad, and I'm probably six years old. This is one of my first outdoor memories. And 
my mom is sitting on the same sandbar with a blanket with my baby brother and my dad, I had a Kermit the Frog, uh, I had a Kermit the Frog fishing pole, right? And we were putting sweet corn on a hook <laughs> with a bobber and, th- and throwing it out to try to catch carp because that's really all that was in a uh, carp or bullhead. That's all that was in this little stream. And all of a sudden, I, I get hooked on this, this carp and my bobber goes straight down and I'm, my dad's going, reel it in, reel it in. And I'm trying to reel this fish in and it, it weighed like, when we got it in, it weighed like 14 pounds. Right? It was a 14 pound carp. And here I am, this like, uh, I was a pretty big kid, so I don't even want to say a weight, but <laughs> <laughs> like, this fish is pulling me in the water and I can remember my dad putting his arm around me and grabbing the pole and having to walk backwards until the fish, we didn't reel it in. We basically drug it on <laughs> onto the sandbar, and uh, and that you know it's moments like that that I'm I'm going to remember. You know, I'm not going to remember what the score of of uh, of a, a deer is to be exact, unless I break. You know, I, there's I'm not saying I won't ever measure a deer because it would be cool to shoot a deer. You know, in the 170s or higher someday. You know, if it if it deems necessary, maybe maybe I will, but it's not going to determine, I don't know. It's just, I think the hunting, like getting back to my point, I think the hunting community and the hunting industry is so caught up in this antler size and how it makes, it, it ranks deer and it ranks people. And Walter, I don't hunt your farms. You don't hunt my farms. People in Pennsylvania don't hunt in Kansas. You know, it's just like, so there's these unrealistic expectations set for people by the community oh, and by the hunting industry. And the next thing you know is they're trying to go out and kill a deer that does not exist in their in that in that piece of property that they hunt. Yep. Yep. No, and, so. and, 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 and if I had a dollar for every time I had a conversation with someone who lives in the Midwest, who, you know, like from Ohio or Missouri, where big deer are shot on a routine basis, <clears throat> and they and they say say to me, you know, I should have six or seven more Pope and Young Bucks. I mean, people my age, I should have six or seven more Pope and Young Bucks on the wall. But because I watched such and such channel, I was waiting for that 160 because that's what I thought I had to do. And I'm like, dude, you're hunting heavily pressured public land. Like at no point in time should any Pope and Young Buck walk past you and you and you not shoot it. You know, I. I I'm with you. I think it's created something kind of unrealistic, and um, for that reason, I tend not to center the conversation of chasing tails around how big was the buck and more about those those little intimate details like what you talked about because to me, you know, the foundation of this podcast is, and I know you're, you remember this, some of my listeners are too young, but, you know, there was a time where you shared deer photos from the center console of your truck on a 4 by 6 printed photo right like there wasn't instagram there wasn't all of this and and there were little notes written on the back right like 38 degrees shot out of the big oak tree with pawpaw you know and and then you start telling that story and nobody said anything other than oh man that's a good like eight point or something like that you know like right and i just wanted to kind of foster that as best i could through sharing some of these experiences because ultimately if if you're defining the whole story by the the inches or the the just by the solely the character of the antlers themselves and you've you've missed the the purpose of that hunt so we're 
we're on the same page. Um, <clears throat> but realistically speaking, I have kept you almost an hour. And you, you're a busy podcaster like yourself, so I know time is of the essence. So why don't you go ahead and tell everybody uh, where they can find your content, both for your, your podcast, but also for the podcast network. And then I got one question to ask you, and that'll wrap this up. <laughs> well, first let me say, Walter, dude, I you know me. Me and you chat on Facebook every once in a while. Mm-hmm. So we could sit and talk about... Uh, hunting, deer hunting for another hour, two hours, three hours. I mean, we got a we got a lot of stories to tell, buddy. So, um, but but yeah, I appreciate you having me on. If if people want to go find out, um, you know, where some of my content is, you can go on iTunes or wherever podcasts are downloaded, wherever you download your podcast, and just search Sportsman's Nation. Uh, and that will bring up the two, the, the whitetail feed and the big game feed. And uh, the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast that I host is on the whitetail, the Sportsman's Nation uh, whitetail feed. So if you uh, if you search Sportsman's Nation whitetail, uh, you'll find it there. Or you can go to sportsmansnation.com. So. And just just for clarification, you have two separate feeds, and the icon yep, will pop have... up twice in 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 all your podcasting. Uh, applications. So if you subscribe to one and you're not getting what you expected, it's probably because you sub- you subscribed to the other RSS feed for, and you've got them run, say that one more time. You got them split up by what category? Yep. So one is called sportsman's nation whitetails. And the other one is called sportsman's nation, big game, Western hunting. Awesome. Awesome. That's, that's outstanding. So, I have one question, and I try and close out every episode with this question. So I'm curious, have you ever listened to the podcast before? I've listened to a couple of them. Okay. Actually, right when you first started. Awesome. Well, then I apologize. Because um, <laughs> those were absolutely <laughs> freaking awful. Um, actually, I owe you a thank you. Um, but anyways... The question I ask every one of my guests, and if you listen to the beginning, the early podcast, you probably didn't uh, catch this, is if you could go back to your 18 or 16 or 17-year-old, whenever you were earliest getting into bow, uh, bow hunting or hunting in general, and you could give them one sentence, one singular piece of advice that would have changed for the positive your hunting experience moving forward, what singular piece of advice would you go back and tell younger Dan? Ooh. Holy cow, man. Honestly, the advice that I would give myself back then, and I know this is kind of a, a deferred question, and I don't, I don't talk about this a lot, but it, you asked the question, and I'm going to be honest with you. So... Man, when I was in my 20s, even in, like, I started drinking alcohol at a really young age, like 14, 15 years old. And, you know, I thought it was, it was cool to drink. And I thought it was cool to go to parties and get drunk and, you know, chase women. And, I, and, and you know, I, I still, I, I didn't hit it too hard in high school, but then I got to college and all through my 20s, man, I, my idea of a good time was sitting at a bar spending money and putting booze in my stomach. You know what I mean? Sure. So, and I, I look back at all this. Here I am 37 getting ready to turn 38. And I look back on everything 
that I like I have this list and it's on my desk, right? It says moose, caribou, elk, mule deer, and that's no particular order, but those are the hunts that I want to go on. And I had 11 years to do that, but instead, and I hunted when I, you know, through that time, but I spent more money on booze and, and sitting there chasing girls and doing all that stuff when I could have went on and done all these things when I was unattached, right? I had no children. I had no wife. Instead, I decided I wanted to drink the river dry, so to speak. And it was a literally a waste of time. And so if I could go back, I would tell myself, Hey man, go on an adventure. You have no responsibilities right now. Go see the world, see the West, climb a mountain and, um, and do something other than destroy your liver. Basically. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I mean, and, and with that would have come, you know, all the, the lessons learned and I'd be ahead of where I am right now, you know? And, and I still think that as a bow hunter, I learn something new every single year, every single hunt. I mean, that's what being an observant hunter is all about. So um, I guess that's the answer to your question, man. And, and you know, as individual, as individual, oh my goodness, as personal as that is, I'm just going to abandon that word altogether. Um, yeah. I think that could probably apply to almost everybody if they were honest with themselves. I, I think everybody probably has something that's detracting from their passions, and if they would just focus their efforts, they could obtain things that uh, probably in the long run would be more beneficial to their to their happiness. Right. But at the same time, you know, like, I can't regret the past no. because it's led me to where, where I'm at today, right? I, I have a beautiful family, right? I... I I, I have this passion, and I think it's the low times that I had in my life, the things I was doing that I probably shouldn't have been doing, and then it all kind of culminated, culminated, is that even a word? <laughs> I got you. It, uh, yeah, yep, into 2006, and it was in 2006 where all of a sudden I got this, I was in a low point in my life, and I found bow hunting again, and that I, it's like it, it changed my life. It sparked a, that passion again that I had for it when I was 14 years old. And I started and I, I cannonballed into it again. And that is why I'm so passionate about it today. Um, because it's, you know, bow hunting is better than drugs. That should be on a t-shirt. <laughs> That's awesome, dude. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Well, I appreciate you you sharing that, and and I really appreciate you taking a uh, over an hour of your evening out of your busy schedule and talking with us. And uh, hopefully, hopefully, when you go out to Colorado, dude, you you stick the 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 an elk that just breaks all records for your expectations, and, and you'll <laughs> you'll you'll come back on the podcast wheezing and exhausted and fifteen pounds lighter, uh, and share that story with us as well. I told my buddy Adam, uh, I'm going uh, hunting with my buddy Adam Parr of the uh, Transition Wild, yeah, Transition Wild podcast. <laughs> and I told him, I said, man, this is my first, my first real elk hunt because my last one was kind of a, a debacle. But 
I'm going to shoot the probably shoot the first elk that presents a shot. <laughs> and My the man. first legal elk, yeah, that presents a shot. I don't care if it's a cow. My wife, if I if I come home with a hundred pounds of elk meat or what you know, however much I, I would take home with me, she would consider that a win. So, right. Uh, right. so that's what that's what it's all about for that for this elk hunt. That's awesome, man. Well, if, if you'll hang on one second, I'm going to wrap this up, and then I, I want to chat with you right before we uh, hang up. Guys, this has been an awesome podcast. I have been looking forward to this uh, for quite some time, and I'm glad that I was finally able to link up with Dan and, and share that story with you. I remember listening, like I said earlier, I remember listening to to uh, that evolution and then seeing it happening and, uh, for him and, and the excitement that he had, so... Um, I hope you enjoyed that podcast, and if you're new to the podcast, don't forget that we're still giving away decals for reviews on iTunes. Just send me a screenshot of your review and your address, and I'll get, uh, we just sent out the last batch that I had, but I will get your name at the top of the list for the next batch. Y'all get outside, go chase your passions, and be good.